0: hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of after the storm this is Hamna and this is Roja and we're back in the studio with another very special guest Uh, we failed to get that average guest we spoke about apparently (laughs) everyone we know is really really cool so Roja do you want to go ahead? and super
1: accomplished yeah
0: I know speaking of super accomplished Roja's going to introduce our guest today
1: so our guest today is an entrepreneur nationally-ranked athlete, and a mental health ambassador. She started her first company, Truly Couture Cupcakes, at the age of 20, and has subsequently launched four others, including The Cupcake Truck, Canada's only cupcake food truck, The Cupcake Cafe, Pop-Ups, and Upper Right Management, her image consulting and corporate branding firm.
0: Aside from all of that, Bisma is also very much an advocate. She loves talking to people and sharing her struggles with mental health and depression. She hosts Mental Health Mondays on her Instagram page every other Monday. She speaks at schools and volunteers with Search and Rescue Association of Canada. Damn, girl, that is a lot of things you have going on. (laughs) Bisma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having
2: me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Uh, Our first question right off the bat is one. Do you ever have spare time? You
2: know what? (laughs) I find that spare time is something that you make for yourself. It's all about time management and prioritizing. So if there's something that I really want to do, I just make time for it. It's really that simple. So Uh,
1: what are those few things that you make
2: time for? Well, most recently, my fiancé. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, recently engaged, which is super fun. We're obsessed with each other, though, so it's not hard. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, but aside from him, um, I, like I said, I am a nationally ranked athlete. I do compete in equestrian, even to this day. So that is oh, kind wow. of a, yeah, it's, you know what? It's a really nice stress release, but it also keeps me in shape, which is really nice. Uh, but I split my time between Vancouver and Toronto mostly. So a lot of my leisure time is actually spent, like, on planes and traveling. <laughs> <laughs> but when I am home, whether it's in Oakville or Vancouver, my preferred method is just be outdoors. Like, I love mm-hmm. nature, I love hiking, I love surfing, so
0: I'm an outdoors girl. I feel that on a spiritual level. I'm oh, so yeah. glad it's hiking sunny outside is today. One of my favorites. Hands I know. Down. I know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, today, what we're going to chat about is taboos in Desi slash South Asian culture. Um, this is something that we chatted about on our Instagram and we asked folks to send in different questions or sorry not questions um, Different things that were taboo in their families or their specific cultures uh, Given our target audience. I think everybody that responded to our question was <laughs> South Asian So I think we're gonna be taking some time to go over those responses and chat about it as much as we can uh, Keeping in mind that there are certain things that we just don't have the authority or well, What's the out there?
1: Ex- Experience or knowledge to speak of yeah. uh, from a professional perspective. Absolutely, um,
0: but you know, we'll talk about what, what we feel like we can, and we're very excited to delve into this today.
1: Mm-hmm. And I was just really surprised when we received our responses how much overlap there was for like certain subject matters. That's very true. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that
0: I guess we don't talk about as a society that multiple people feel like we should be talking about, so let's delve into that. Do you want to kick us off? Yes. So our
1: first taboo subject, sex. Ooh. Woo! <laughs> can someone cue the song? I was just about <laughs> to say.
0: <laughs> can we play that, please? I'm going to try and see if I can sex. <laughs> um, but no, but really speaking, I think it's a really important talk- topic to talk about, right? Sex, the lack thereof, sex education, and how the whole thing is just a big taboo in Desi culture. How do we... I guess it's uncomfortable to even start that conversation, right?
1: Do you I'll see my start. Face? I'm just like, oh god, Ra
0: has this massive cringe. Not cringe, just frightening.
2: <laughs> no, it's funny, and you know what? That's often the reaction that we get from a lot of people, whether it's a South Asian community or not. You get that little, like that little hiccup, like the oh, should I be talking about this? Should I be talking about sex in general? But I feel like, first of all, there's a difference between Fear or lack of education. And then there's the difference between truly understanding what's happening and wanting to learn about it. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the reason why sex in general, whether it's sex ed, sexual pleasure, anything of that nature, is so taboo in the South Asian community is because it's looked at with fear. Yeah. So much of, uh, I guess, the sex ed curriculum right now is based on. Education And first learning about your body, talking about consent and what that's like. And then later, obviously, when it becomes age appropriate, it becomes more about the obviously the biology of, you know, why evolutionary from or rather from an evolutionary perspective, people started Mm -hmm. having sex. Yeah. And then also from the pleasure aspect of it. So I think that if we kind of look at it from a lens at the very beginning, everyone should have the knowledge and be equipped with the tools to understand their body. Absolutely. Not only what's happening with their body at different phases in their life, but also being able to label things um, both visually, but also to say, you know what, this is happening to my body. This is either okay or not okay. Or even something as simple as somebody is doing something to my body and this is okay or not okay.
0: I think it's so important to have these conversations too because that knowledge is so empowering, right? Especially if we're talking about things like consent, Um, For kids, having sex ed for kids is super, super important because when you're that young, you don't necessarily know what's happening to you, what's right or wrong, or how to talk about it. If you can't name the body parts that you have, if you can't actually name what's happening to you, how are you going to tell other people about it?
2: Exactly.
1: I think just um, on the topic of sex education, I was just thinking about how important it is to have at least um, a curriculum or program in our Communities that also teach parents because I feel like a certain part of the community comes with a very limited knowledge because I know growing up, um, I wasn't allowed to attend sex ed workshops, mm-hmm. but then I also didn't have that conversation with my parents either. What I had to do was l- learn from basic biology books and then going online. Um, and I think it's just really important in spaces that our community gathers in whether it be the mosque or any other center of sorts we need to have um, a curriculum a culturally specific mm-hmm. or culturally sensitive curriculum I don't know what that would look like but there needs to be something there. Now I
2: will preface this with my upbringing was a little bit different although I've always been you know, very outspoken and a little bit of a rebel Um, (laughs) everyone has said this kind of in the past like you know what's led to your success in business is because I haven't really cared what people thought. I've kind of you know I've never let anybody tell me what to do or what not to do but I think it started with the strength that I think my mom gave me. She is a therapist by profession so when we had to talk about biology or sex ed or sex in general she started Mm -hmm. from a very you know educational perspective. This is what your body does these are what your body parts are etc and it wasn't until much later if at all, we talked about the pleasure aspect of it, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the other really important thing to differentiate here is the difference between culture and religion. Yes. Because religiously, I can only obviously speak from a Muslim or Islamic lens, um, so I don't want to impart or, you know, generalize with any other religions. But for us specifically, religiously, we have provisions for these types of things. Not only do we have, you know, safe halal um, provisions for, relationships but also the way we teach um, kids or people in the community or even ourselves about sex education um, Mm -hmm. and like I said about sex in general and there's even provisions in for example relationships about recommendations of how often you should be having sex in a relationship Mm -hmm. right so these types of things are in place for a reason I think where the fear comes from is when people feel like they don't have control over the situation it's like, oh, you know, if our if our daughters and sons start talking about sex, then they're going to start having sex. And then what is that going to lead to? It's this fear of the mm-hmm. unknown. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And often I think the fear of, or I guess the... The perpetuation of that comes from a lot of people don't know what they're doing when it comes to sex. Even parents don't know what they're doing because they weren't given that proper sex yeah. education, right? Yeah. So it's just perpetuating generation after generation of no one knowing what the heck is going oh, on.
0: absolutely. It goes so far back. I remember this was a few years ago. Uh, we were I was in a car with my mom, two of my grandmas, or no, one of my grandmas, and... An aunt or something like that, and my grandma just made this comment off to the side, saying, "Kids these days know too much," and she didn't know anything until like the day before she got married. Wow. And I was just sitting there <laughs> thinking, it's like, I don't think that's a good thing. I think this whole this whole idea of using religion as a scapegoat for mm-hmm. not giving your kids sex ed and for not teaching them, you know, basic anatomy mm-hmm. and teaching them, and empowering them, basically. I think that's so awful because that in turn leads your child to be more fearful of religion, too.
2: Agreed. Yeah, it feels like, you know, oh, we're doing something bad. And I feel like even I was having um, a conversation with a couple of my friends who were in a really active church group. And she was telling me she's recently married. Um, This was a story actually reiterated from her mom in the church as well. And again, speaking from a, a religious lens. They always looked at premarital sex as bad and to have, you know, sexual fantasies, for example, were like very frowned upon. And this was the devil's work, et cetera, et cetera. So when it came time for her to get married and then to eventually have sex with her partner, she didn't know how to translate those feelings of, oh, this is bad to, oh, this is what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And how do you, like you said about your aunt or your grandmother, she found out what was going on the night before. Like that is traumatizing. (laughs) It
0: really is. That's like a crash
2: course (laughs) in, I don't (laughs) even. <laughs> know what you want to call it.
0: Yeah. It is but talk about not trauma. being prepared, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, actually, it's funny that you brought that story up because that's something that's been on my mind lately as well. So a lot of my friends are starting to get married now, mm-hmm. right? And when you get married, the expectation is that you have sex with your husband and, you know, eventually have kids and everything. And there is so much misinformation about mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. that looks like. I Like there's girls that believe that it's their duty to to please their husband, which just, it makes me want to jump off a cliff. Um, Also, it's a two-way street, kiddos. Right, I know. Yeah. It is equally your husband's (laughs) job to please you. Exactly, (laughs) except nobody tells them that. And so they go into these relationships where it's just so tense all the time because they feel like there's this weight on them to Mm -hmm. make sure their husband is happy and that you can only have sex if the end goal is to have kids and that you can't
1: actually do it just... Oh my you god, know, that reminds me of fun. something yeah. <laughs> in high school, oh my god, I had to tell a friend that like the purpose of sex was not just to have kids and oh god. has <laughs> <It'll be> her, <laughs> like, her hand on her chest. <laughs> her heart is beating really <laughs> It's so funny. She was like, Wait, so you can have sex if you don't want kids
2: like islamically but you know what? it's actually funny that you say that because i wonder if her perspective was from a biological perspective like for example does she think that every time you have sex you will get pregnant because what? that's you know that goes back probably. to the sex yeah, conversation right if exactly. you think that every single time you have sex like you probably either don't want to have sex because you don't want to be constantly pregnant or it's just terrifying <laughs> <which is> terrifying. <laughs> terrifying so yeah i wonder like i wonder if it was a perspective of like you know, she thought that that was what was going to happen every time she had sex. or It was
1: genuinely like the only purpose of sex was to have children and good oh Muslim God. people don't have it beyond that, which is Yikes. just, oh my god.
0: Wow. Misinformation. Yeah, so so much misinformation. explaining that at
1: 15 big years oh so Yeah, no kidding.
0: You know
2: how Staples has like that easy button? We yeah. need like a misinformation button. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> We need like yes. a little bell
0: that goes off every yeah. time something happens. Um, So kind of in line with sex ed, I think is the topic of periods, and yeah. this is something that came up in the responses as well a couple of times, is it? it goes right in line with the topic of sexual education, is teaching kids, and especially boys as well as girls, mm-hmm. what what periods are is so important and this is where I have like a terrible story to share because my mom didn't tell me what periods were <gasps> until oh one day I woke up I got ready to go to school oh, I went no. to the bathroom and I was bleeding so I started screaming up a storm <laughs> did you think you like, were dying yeah yeah I was like this <laughs> oh, is no. it I was like thank you god I have lived a good life I was how young was I, I was just, I think I was in grade seven I was just like well this is how I go there's something wrong with me I'm diseased I'm <laughs> well, dying can you uh-huh. imagine like that's how you go you're like Bro, like, I couldn't, I was crying, I was screaming, and my mom finally comes in. She's like, what's happening? So I tell her, and she's she's so happy, and I am pissed off at this point. (laughs) Like, how dare you laugh at my pain?
2: Not even that. How dare you keep
0: this from me? Like,
2: you're a woman. I'm assuming you've been menstruating for at least as long as I've
0: been born. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it's just, like... I find that, and I think this story is not uncommon. This happens to a lot of young girls where nobody
1: talks to them. I know of a few friends that have had the exact same experience.
0: Yeah, like it's terrifying but what's even more frustrating is that okay you know as a girl you eventually do figure it out there are guys that never figure this shit out yeah
2: okay so funny story so this uh, didn't happen to me but to my mom just to kind of preface (laughs) or jump off (laughs) of your story the first time she got her period I think she was probably about 11 or 12 and again similar Mm -hmm. reaction she I think she like went to the bathroom all of a sudden she was bleeding and she was like oh my god I'm dying (laughs) so she came out and told my grandma and my grandma was just like okay and then my mom has an older sister so my uh, she was still in the bathroom my aunt came in and like flung a a pad or like a tampon or something at her. And my mom was like what do I do with this? So she actually she was telling me I feel so (laughs) bad for her I'm laughing as I'm saying this but I'm not (laughs) but she just like unwrapped the pad. She didn't know what to do with it she Mm -hmm. figured out that you you know you're supposed to put it on your underwear but she didn't rip like the plastic portion of it off and it was just as you can imagine as any female can imagine it was a hot mess but again after that moment she learned how to you know correctly use Um, use uh, feminine hygiene items. But beyond that, I am shocked at how many families... um, So for those of you who don't know, when you have your period during the month of Ramadan, you are not obligated to keep your fast. I am shocked at how many women still hide the fact or pretend like they're fasting just because they don't want to admit to either the opposite gender or whoever else that they indeed have their period.
0: Girl, do you know how many years I had to wake up and pretend that I was fasting and go eat sehri with my family? I would get so pissed off. But my mom was like, no, it's shameful. What am I going to tell your dad? What am I going to tell your brother? And I'm just like, he's married to you. Does he not know, Does you he have not period? know your, your period? Yeah. Does he not know that you... Uh,
2: there's so many things that I want to say about that. But I'm just, I'm still shocked that this is happening in our generation, Mm -hmm. right? You think at some point that, you know, someone, you know, broke the chain somewhere along the line. And again, just the language that you're using, like, this is shameful. Like, what is shameful about your body biologically going through something that inevitably will, down the line, if you decide to go that route, will help you bear children. Which, isn't that, like, the South Asian, like,
1: golden rule?
2: Exactly. Get married, have children?
1: But going off of that, I just was thinking about it, like, why is this shameful? Why why do people put such a taboo on this? And it's because, like, they're sexualizing women. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. if they find out, if someone finds out you have your period, you're a woman. You're no longer a child. And just, like... It's that innocence is gone. And God forbid our innocence leave us. Mm -hmm. Uh, But The entire thought process behind that is just so disgusting. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, okay, I can't tell my dad I have my period because, like, this is what you're. Okay. My fiance buys pads for me.
0: That is so nice of him. Right.
1: Down with the patriarchy, honestly.
0: Like, for real. Get rid of this bullshit. Yeah. um, Because, it like, it took so long to, for me to convince my mom to tell my brother what periods were. Mm-hmm. Because until then, she would have us make other excuses as to why he would see my, me and my sister eating around the house during Ramadan. Like... Man, I'm dying here. I'm in a lot of pain. Like, yeah. don't I don't need this additional no, burden not. on top of absolutely everything not. else. Well, my mom had to actually teach my cousins,
2: like my male cousins. I grew up in a family of all male cousins. I was the only girl for 18 years until my oh, two dear. younger cousins were born. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I was kind of a tomboy, like, growing up as well. But I remember my mom had to teach um, her nephews what menstruation was because they grew up in a household with no females aside from their mom. And that's not really something that she talked to them about. So my mom mom had to actually teach them the biological side of menstruation, but then also like the the other side, like you know when you eventually are in relationships or you know even when your mom has her period, for example, like here are ways you can help, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, pass her a Tylenol, get her a hot water bottle, understand that she like you know make dinner
0: for a change, right? Exactly, and it's again so important to keep having these conversations. I think you just touched on this before. Is it's sad to see that this is perpetuated even mm-hmm. within our generation. So how do we go about breaking this taboo? around, you know, sexual education, period, sex, What? I think, honestly, I'm so proud of you girls for having
2: this podcast because it takes people like this and takes people like you to come out and say, it is okay. And this is getting like a little bit on the darker side, but when the Me Too movement came to light, it was all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, it was that same awakening. It was that awareness. Mm -hmm. It's like a, hey, we are giving the world and these women permission, even though you don't need to give permission, but giving Mm -hmm. these women permission to talk about this freely. Yeah. And I think creating these platforms and these podcasts like this is just one step closer to us normalizing things that are normal in
0: our bodies. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a big part of why we do this as well, right? It's mm-hmm. just talking about things that nobody else is talking about. And it's so frustrating going through this on a daily basis, mm-hmm. all the time, constantly having to tell yep. people that this is normal. You don't need to be ashamed of your body. You don't yep. need to go like skirting around Ramadan, avoiding everybody <laughs> if you're eating. Like, just, just kind of go f- live yeah. your truth, live, live, live your, your truth, truth. and let other people live their truth, right?
2: And I find that one thing, um, so I did my business degree and my communications degree, and in my comm degree, uh, one of my minors, not by popular opinion, as I found out, but one of my minors (laughs) was actually looking at gender coding, uh, like for my MRP, gender coding in the exotic dance and pornography. Mm -hmm. So we looked at those industries and we saw, you know, where and how gender coding came about, et cetera. And one of the things that I was actually most interested in is how people used pornography as education. And it stemmed from them not having the education in other places. So if you have a sex ed curriculum, mm-hmm. that's not working. If you have parents or friends or peer groups that you can't yeah. talk about this stuff, you're turning to porn to learn things. And I'm sorry. From this degree, I've watched a lot of porn from this, <laughs> And I can tell you that... It's not the most informative and definitely not the most educational.
1: Yeah. It's, and the outcome of having, like, an entire generation of kids just growing up on pornography, mm-hmm. it's not good. No, and, and it's also all. not a realistic expectation of
0: not only pleasure, but what happens when two mm-hmm. people are having sex. Yeah, and it's going to be damaging to your own relationships, too. And it almost, like, this, this discussion takes me back to, again, the idea of, like, parents, if you don't want your kids to be watching porn, go into... Figure out why they're doing it in the first place. What led them to that, okay? And then actually talk to them about things. Talk to them about their bodies. Mm -hmm. Tell them what's happening. Tell them that it's
1: normal. Like just bouncing off your point, that comes to like a point of communication as well, which I feel like the South Asian community still has a problem with um, establishing proper communication with your children, whether that be about subjects such as sex or sex education or even just relationships, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. There's a gap there. And I think that's something we need to address as well. That's actually one of the other things that came in
0: in the answers is um, just one of the things that was taboo is relationships, divorce, and um, just talking about how to be in a relationship.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So... My um my background, my parents have been divorced since I was ten months old. So it's literally all I've ever known. Mm-hmm. And my mom was separated from my dad when she was I want eight months pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. I'm an only child. Um so like I said, all I've known my whole life is divorce. So that was my that was my norm. But I did see how other people in the community treated her because of it. Yeah. And even my grandma to some perspective was very, very pushy when I was young about her like, you know, getting remarried really quickly right. because she didn't want to be single and divorced forever. But my mom, thank goodness, is an exceptionally strong woman, but also has had a kick-ass career and accomplished so many things because she didn't make that choice. She mm-hmm, she yeah. had had a few relationships after that, but never like did not decide to get remarried after that. Um, so I think for me, I'm obviously I'm coming from it from a little bit of a different lens. But I will say, I had a very hard time sharing relationships with my mom mm-hmm. because she through her experiences, had a very negative lens on, like, love and relationships in general. Mm-hmm. She kind of approached it from this view that, you know, when you're in love or when you're in a relationship, it kind of you don't make the best decisions or, yeah. you know, it makes you weaker. And I, you know, when I fell in love however many times as a young adult <laughs> and as a teenager, or, you know, what I thought was love at the time, um, I didn't want to come to her with that because I didn't want her to think I was lesser than or a weaker person because of it. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately... I didn't open up to her about relationships until much later and I think I tolerated too much in some of my really, really bad relationships because I didn't have that person to turn to. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want to tell her, you know, if I was, uh, I don't even know if it's, um, I don't know if it's a like, oh, I was in a bad situation Mm -hmm. or if it was like a verbally abusive relationship or psychologically abusive. But Mm -hmm. I could never go to her about those things because I just feel like she would say, oh, like i told you so or yeah. i told you mm-hmm. this would happen and nobody wants to feel like that
0: no and it's it's such a bad feeling right you just feel like you're sinking inside mm-hmm. when somebody comes at you with that one of the other things that i've seen in terms of relationships so i think that's one lens where you know you're told that it's just it's not good for you mm-hmm. the other and that that i've experienced is just that you don't do it at all you don't right, you don't fair. have relationships yeah. so i've been told my whole life don't talk to boys don't look at boys uh, don't you know don't do anything with boys, but now that I'm 25, it's like, hey, Humna, aren't you married yet?
2: Yeah, it's you're like, where's the transition period for me? Like, how did you expect this to happen? You didn't let me, well, in your case, like, they didn't let you date. They didn't let you interact with the opposite gender. Like, how are you supposed to practice? I
0: truly don't know. And so now it's at a weird point because I still don't talk to my mom about this stuff. Even when I am trying to get to know somebody, Mm -hmm. I never will go to my mother about it because – I know what I'm going to hear. Is that yeah. it's wrong? Why aren't you just why don't you just jump straight to marriage? Because you know Because I want this marriage the to last, people, <laughs> that's why. <laughs> yes. Like you gotta get to know somebody yeah. beforehand. I'm not saying it
2: hasn't worked for other people in the past who have possibly had like arranged or assisted marriages. True. I'm just saying like that's I've found again, this is me generalizing, but I found that those relationships, however many years later, however many kids and homes and whatever later is still a very superficial relationship, mm-hmm. right? You still have two people that are living in the same household that may not necessarily know each other to their entirety. Yeah, And again, they're living this very like archaic role of husband and wife with like very, very distinct roles. I'll just give the example for me. So um, my fiance and I, we lived together. We moved in together in December. And <laughs> when you look at our our division of like labor in our mm-hmm. household he does a lot of the typically like quote unquote female tasks yeah and we have like we have a system worked out where like you know whoever comes home from work first makes dinner yeah. and if we're both home at around the same time we'll make dinner together i'm a dishwasher girl he likes to wash dishes i don't do laundry ever he takes care of that like he has a lot of the household responsibilities just because mm-hmm. of the way our schedules are
0: mm-hmm.
2: if anyone looked at this from the outside they'd be like oh, but that's a
0: woman's work. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? What's unfortunate too, and this is what I've seen, is men like that who do step up in their household because it is their household. Yeah, it's our household. Are (laughs) shamed for it by other people. So there's guys that I know that will help their wives out with so much around the home, right? and in turn all they get is other guys making fun of them, being like, Oh, you're whipped like yeah, But sorry, even are you doing like
2: this? just to just to note your language there about this guy helping his wife out with house things mm-hmm. or say for example like oh, my husband is watching the kids or babysitting the kids. You're like, no, those are his kids. That's yeah. true. He's not actually. babysitting. Yeah. Thank right? you for pointing that yeah. out. Yeah, and he's not, he's not helping you with your tasks. This is your house. This is your mm-hmm. house together. This is your life together. He is every much a part of that
0: as you are.
1: Thank you for saying that. I right? really like
0: that framing of it.
1: Um, just adding on another point, I found that uh, they see moms, especially, they don't like teaching their sons a lot of these household chores and why Um, is that exactly why is that um i found so many cases where it's like someone wants to help and they're like you know what they finally have the common decency to be like maybe i should like step up and they're stopped they're like you know what no 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 this isn't your job you're not supposed to do this and coming from a family where all of us are girls we've never had that Mm -hmm. and like thank god my parents don't i guess I don't know if I'll never find out if they would discriminate (laughs) if I had a brother, but, like, it's very much like, no, you can do whatever you want to do, um, and you should be helping out everywhere. So with my sisters, all of us, uh, well, me and my younger sister, the youngest is a little too young, um, divide in terms of cooking Mm -hmm. or cleaning around the house, but that also includes things like if there's a plumbing mix uh, fix like, yeah. up, yeah, yeah. If the light needs fixing, that's us too. And I think just like the mentality of like not teaching your kids how to do certain things is only gonna come bite them tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. like you have a generation of brown boys that do not know how to make chai, that do not know how to <laughs> make anything, living alone in university, just sitting like, okay, what do yeah, I what do what now? What do I do now?
0: And what's funny about that is it's okay for, or at least my family. Um, I help my dad out with a lot of, like, just kind of handy tasks, Mm -hmm. right? Last weekend we were building a shed. So it's okay for me as a girl to do things that are considered that they're for guys, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, but it's not okay for that to be reversed. I would challenge everyone listening to this podcast to go home and
2: talk to your South Asian parents and say, if I was a guy or if I was (laughs) a girl, would you have raised me any differently? Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping the answer is no for the most part. But I'd be interested for you to start that conversation with your parents and see what that would look like.
0: Yeah, incredibly important to go down that road. Um, I'm gonna go back to the first thing in the subtopic, which was divorce as well. So you briefly touched on this. Um, I just wanna talk about how damaging it is the whole stigma around divorce to young women that have been divorced for good reason Mm -hmm. and now want to get remarried but can't because people view them as, you know, there's something wrong with them. Damaged goods, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. So once I just want to start off by saying
2: that as damaging as this is to, you know, not only you psychologically, emotionally, etc., imagine how much more damaging it is when you stay in a relationship that Mm -hmm. you clearly should be getting a divorce from yeah right yeah. and I think that's something that people often forget it's why are these people getting divorced mm-hmm. right is it because there's something horribly abusive going on in the situation or maybe not even that extreme maybe it's just two people who have made a conscious decision that they don't want to be together anymore they don't want to live their lives together and that is totally okay right yeah. I feel like as soon as you hear that somebody is divorced you jump to the worst possible conclusion yeah <laughs> yeah And I would like to know, again, I can only speak from my mom's perspective. um, I would like to know how many people actually ask why. Not that it's really anybody's business, Mm -hmm. but I'd like to know if it would change your opinion, whether it was, you know, two people who mutually decided like, you know, this isn't working. We'd like to go our separate ways, amicable, all good to go. Or if it was something like your husband is hitting you and is doing X, Y, and Z things to you and you are getting out of this relationship for very good reason. Mm-hmm. Are you still gonna blame a woman because she you know, took agency over her own life and protected herself and possibly her children from this extremely abusive man?
1: And it's just so damaging to have that view that it's only okay to get divorced if you are in this extreme situation yep. because like, it, suppose someone finds out that, you know what, it was a mutual decision. Mm-hmm. People thought they just weren't good for each other. Um, you get responses like, oh, well, this generation doesn't try hard enough. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, relationships take relationships take effort, and they do. And perhaps in certain cases, the best decision is to let go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I,
2: I sorry to interrupt. I saw this post on Instagram the other day. It was so powerful. And it was saying about how the divorce statistic is so much higher now than it was 50 years ago. And the rebuttal to that was, yes, but our women aren't silenced anymore exactly. like they were 50 years yes. ago. They have
1: courage. Yes.
2: Yeah, they have courage. They have strength. Sometimes they have, you know, arguably the resources to be able to do and it better and faster well. and support. Exactly. Yeah. But just to touch on your point about the stigma still um, still. I guess, around divorce. And I'd say that's just as much the problem of the person that is putting that stigma on you. Mm-hmm. It's not the person who's actually going through the divorce mm-hmm. or who has yeah. been divorced, right? If if that is your lens, if you think that there is something wrong with a person who has been divorced, that's
0: on you. Absolutely. Not on the person that's been Absolutely. Divorced. And if we're talking about religion, right? This is what really grinds my gears. If we're talking about religion, the prophet's first wife was a divorced woman. Yes. So like wait where what are you Where's where your basis on exactly. this, guys? Like yeah. where are you getting? What is your, your, your information foundation? From? But you
2: know what I find that a lot of times, um and one of the reasons like I don't have a relationship with my father or my father's side of the family. A large part of that is because I feel like they used they pick and choose aspects of the religion that they think they can use as leverage against you. Mm -hmm. And I'm not okay with that. And I'm also not okay with when you exploit the religion for certain things and not others. Like, don't give me a reference and a quote of something that happened X, Y, and Z years ago and apply it. And then not give any, you know, even any kind of acknowledgement to something that happened like the very next day in history, mm-hmm. and you know, not apply that to your life. Like the hypocrisy of it kills me, and that's one of the one of the main reasons why it was very very hard to maintain a relationship with him and that mm-hmm. side of the family. Yeah, but I just find, like you said about the the prophet's um, first wife being uh, being divorced, again, it just comes from, a, like I said, a lack of education or a fear. And because, going back to the whole sex portion of things, because our South Asian community values someone's, like, quote-unquote purity or virginity so much, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, my God, this woman has clearly slept with another man Therefore, nobody else yeah. can have her. Yeah,
0: there's no value yeah. to her anymore, which I'm going to I say this, I say this like all the time. I'm going to say this again. Virginity is a social construct.
2: Yes. Thank like, you. Just clap, clap. Stop clap.
0: with that. It makes me so so mad when yeah. people just use that as an excuse. Well, it's even things, funny because right? um
2: so for those of you who are listening, um Islamically there's something called a mutah. And it is essentially like an Islamic provision. Um, it's a it's a timed contract between two people who want to you know have a relationship of any kind, whether it's you know emotional, physical, etc within the confines and the rules of Islam. So it's essentially holding two people accountable for their actions. And the hope is if you enter into a muta with a person, it's kind of like you're dating them. You know, you can set your terms and your limits. So not only is it a timed thing, but it's also like I've had certain friends that have had mutas, uh just to like, you know, talk and go out on dates with people just to get to know them for the purposes of marriage and see, you know, if they want that mm-hmm. lifestyle to, or they, if they want that life mm-hmm. together. Um, whereas I know some people... Who have you know, um like decided not to wear hijab in front of the the person that they're in a motah with, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But there's that level of accountability there. It, there's mm-hmm. no gray area. It's like you and I are entering this motah relationship because we want to see if we can work out in the future and if it doesn't work out, you can end it early. There's a lot of like minutia in the motah contract, which is why it's right. not taken lightly. Mm-hmm. This is like a serious thing that two people enter into together. and it's almost like a lot of people have attributed it to like a trial relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm but this is the best way that i can kind of describe like a safe space for you to you know like you said like practice relationships talking to the opposite gender Mm -hmm. seeing what your deal breakers are in relationships and what
0: you're willing to live with and not live with yeah um that's the first time somebody's actually described it to me like that like Mm -hmm. in a very positive light so i'm sunni Mm -hmm. and this isn't something that's very common no it's not and it's because a lot of people have abused it because yeah like it gets such a bad mm-hmm. rep yeah there's so such a negative it's,
1: connotation story yeah like yeah, it yeah, this is the first like,
0: time I've heard it described like this so thank you for doing that and thank you absolutely. for explaining that in a way that I think does it justice yeah exactly
2: I don't think I've ever heard yeah. the explanation and I'm no stranger it. to the fact that yes like the Amotah has a very bad rep in certain communities and it's because mm-hmm. people again they don't Take it as seriously as it should. Like this is a legally Islamic binding contract that you have between two people, and that yeah. is what it is. As it's fundamental, even a nikah contract. So, for those of you who are listening, a nikah contract is like your marriage contract. It mm-hmm, is your yeah. Islamic marriage contract. A mutan and nikah are essentially very similar in their weight. And the detail that goes into a muta is also the same that goes into a nikah contract. So there's that same level of, you know, accountability, severity, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And so for the, I know in certain communities where, you know, certain people will just have mutas for like, say, for example, a weekend mm-hmm. and have their quote unquote fun and then end the muta, and then have a new one the next weekend. Like that's not allowed. Mm-hmm. You have to wait three months, for example, in between one muta and the next just in case a pregnancy results from it like yeah. there are rules in place and provisions in place for those types of things
0: yeah Wow I again like I, I knew nothing about the like how intense and mm-hmm. how you know it's almost like so structurally yeah. set up my that's...
2: fiance and I we have a matal right now mm-hmm. and again we set our terms and limits because we did like it was very important to me for me to live with my partner before I got married mm-hmm. right and those were things that we wanted to do although like I'm obviously much more religious than he is he's not Muslim mm-hmm. Um we have created a lifestyle that really really works for us and he was very open to having this mutat contract because he's like this makes sense Mm -hmm. right there's so much accountability there's like we're both on the same page about everything this is like a really great trial like you are spending the rest of your life with this person that is not something you take lightly
0: definitely not and i almost see it as him respecting your wishes and Mm -hmm. your boundaries within the confines of that relationship too exactly um kind of and going in line with this one of the other things that came up this is one of my favorite responses that came <laughs> up just because of the language it's is relevant so funny. too yeah. thank you for saying this i'm not gonna shout out a name you but know who you I'll are i'll find you after um but this person <laughs> said taboo is marrying outside of your sect slash group slash whatever it's called whatever it's called
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm raising my hand right now because that's me um i find that yeah, like, it's so funny because I found that I have dated uh, extensively, both uh, Muslim and non-Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I have found, surprisingly, that not only when dating a non-Muslim man, I have found that they have made me a better Muslim because I actually have to, you know, take the time to like know my stuff. <laughs> and yeah. it makes me stronger in my beliefs uh, because I am, you know, staying true to my faith while being in this relationship. And unfortunately sad state of affairs, I find that a lot of Muslim men these days aren't really as Muslim as I would like them to be. Oh, definitely not. For example, so my... Yeah, no, definitely not at all. You know what I mean? Like, I have, like, my fiancé is although not Muslim, more Muslim in lifestyle than any Muslim guy I have ever dated.
1: I've found so many people (laughs) to say that. I'm snapping to that. Snap, snap,
2: snap (laughs) because like we keep, we maintain a halal household, for example, and that was something that was very important to me because I, even if I wasn't Muslim, I would still eat halal food because I love the sustainability behind it. I love everything that Mm -hmm. it stands for. Mm -hmm. um, And that was something that's really important to me. And those are things that anybody who I've dated that's non-Muslim has either, like, adopted or you know when I'm going over to their house like if I was um, I know one of my exes like he wasn't Muslim whenever I would go over to dinner for his place he would make sure that not only did he only have halal meat in the house but that he was observing all other aspects of like a halal lifestyle he wasn't mm-hmm. drinking he and he previously did drink before me like all of these little things that would happen yeah. are things that like from my experience, even the not, or even sorry, the Muslim guys weren't giving up because mm-hmm. they were dating yeah. me, right? And that's not something that I would require. Like, if this is your life; these are your decisions. I'm not going to tell you to drink or not to drink or whatever the situation is. But I know for me in my lifestyle, like f- having a halal household is very important to me. Mm-hmm. And I have that with
0: my non-Muslim almost husband. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it goes back to the idea of respect, right? Yes. And you you love somebody, then you better respect them enough mm-hmm. to accommodate to the things, to their wants and needs and how they want to live their life. And I think the reason this is such a taboo is because, and this is my, like my personal take on this, right? Um, Hot <laughs> take from Humna, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh my god um the reason i think this is taboo is because people are so entrenched in their sect or their understanding of the faith being the only right one yeah i think that's why we have so much sectarian vo- violence mm-hmm. as well Because right? people are convinced that no i am right and my, it's my way or the highway yeah so if you know you meet somebody that's from the highway well <laughs> guess is
1: not happening even in like their deluded belief of like you know what i am right They'll knowingly do everything wrong as long as it's not X, Y, Z from that sect. Like,
0: yeah, you know what I mean? Can like, you give me an example?
1: Yeah. I, I have, like, a specific example in mind. <laughs> like, you meet... I syn- love specific results. <laughs> <I know. laughs> you know there's a story there. Tangible results, people. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Like, you meet, like, a Sydney guy, okay? He'll be drinking, doing everything under god's green earth and then you'll talk about say what uh, let's take them with that for yes. an example We'd You'd be like what no that's some shia innovation no yep, <laughs> dude you'll come down
2: like you're yeah no and again it comes down to the hypocrisy of it i think exactly. and it comes down to the fear like every single topic that we have discussed today i think the stigma or the taboo behind it because that's the whole point it's taboo right mm-hmm. it comes from the fear and it comes mm-hmm. from the lack yeah. of education of it. And if you're just, you know, if you're educating people about things and if you're sharing other perspectives and if you're being open to other perspectives, there's really nothing to fear. Yeah, Like, we're all good. Like, you do you, I do
0: me. Like, we cool. <laughs> I think it's about the willingness to just respect people at their most basic and recognizing the humanity in other people, right? Yeah. Respecting that and giving people the agency to be who they are and mm-hmm. live the way they want.
2: But also, I would say, like, coming from a religious community who also has been known to kind of, you know, push things down people's throat a little bit, mm-hmm. you also have to understand that, like, if you are expecting people to be open-minded, you also can't get upset if they're not taking what you're it's, giving them. Yes. That's fair. Right? Yeah. yeah. like that, it, it, that's it's a, a very good it's point. It's a two-way yeah. streak here. Like, mm-hmm. you can't be all preachy and be like, oh, my God, be open-minded to my ideas and whatever. But, like, you got to follow this. Yes. So that's not yeah, how it works. No. That's true. You can't
1: ascribe
0: them to other no. standards
1: then and expect them to so be So what open. I've gotten from this conversation of taboo subjects is that, the most important thing is to educate.. Mm-hmm. Preach. So what mm-hmm. we gonna do? Educate ourselves, folks. <laughs> Woo!
0: Um, before we wrap up, I just want to say thank you to everybody that responded to our Instagram poll. It's been instrumental in shaping the direction of this conversation. There are a few other things uh, that we couldn't really get. We didn't have the time to get into today. But I'm going to read them out just because I think it's important to know what people have questions about, right? What are people wondering about? And what do people perceive as taboos that we should be talking about a little more and be working to break the stigma against? Uh, I think one of them is... <clears throat> Uh, marriage problems, so problems within a marriage, drug addiction. Uh, somebody said explaining to uncles and aunties why they're wrong, which <laughs> you, you know, people do shut down. They don't like that's being a told whole other that conversation. Wrong. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's a communication issue yeah. right there. <laughs> yes, folks, learn how to talk to each other. Uh, not going to post secondary. I think that's that's mm-hmm. an important conversation. I don't think that's when we can comment on because we've all been to post secondary yep. here. But yeah, definitely a conversation to be had. Uh, Showing affection to your married partner. I uh, also physical affection with your children. You know that's what I mean? Like that's telling true. them I
1: love you. Yeah. That's a thing.
0: Giving them hugs.
2: Oh god, I was smothered as a child, so I'm probably not the best uh-huh. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't get to that part of the conversation. I can talk
0: about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not better at all. <laughs> oh my god. It's okay. We'll share our smothering stories. Hashtag yeah. moving on. <laughs> One um, of the other
0: things, this is funny. Oh, this is my sister who did this. Mama, why are you like this? <laughs> um'm calling her out. On I it. will call her out everywhere. Dogs. But she has a point. You know what? Yeah, my family's really strict about that, about like not having dogs because they're haram, but I don't think but I it's also, it comes that. from it comes from education. It's like, yeah, why exactly. are dogs considered or certain aspects
2: of dogs considered impure? Mm-hmm. And again, that comes down to education. It's not like, we don't have anything against dogs, guys. Yeah. Let's just put that out there.
1: I, I would the like, like conversation- fluffy puppy. Yeah, the con- conversation you need to have is why do they see auntie scream so loud when they see a puppy just like right? cross them
0: my goal in life is to have a husky and a golden retriever <gasps> oh my
1: god you are my soul sister because
2: huskies are my life
0: they are oh, so are cute really, anything like little and fluffy like
2: the, like jiff pom like the pomeranians <gasps> oh or like oh my Samoids god I would or, die. oh my god okay so in vancouver quick story i know we're wrapping up a quick story in vancouver <laughs> like we have a very very heavy obviously like hiking and walking and dog culture mm-hmm. and you get start to get to know the puppies around your neighborhood in <gasps> oh your god. area oh my god i just want to like adopt all of them oh my god i'll just be like i don't want to own you for real i just want to take you on walks and hikes with
0: yes. me okay yeah, moving on sorry i am obsessed with dogs me too. life goal right there yep. Um, I think one of the other things was conversations around what modesty is and Mm -hmm. isn't. So I think that's something we'd like to delve into later on as well if we can. But that kind of wraps it up for
1: us so far, folks. And I think we just, one more topic, queerness in our communities. Oh, yes. But that is a whole other subject matter. Um, Yeah,
0: one of the other things that came in was mental health and mental illness. Uh, This is one we didn't really delve into because we've done two episodes on this already that were very thorough. We brought in a professional. so. Um, you know, as important as it is to talk about, there are other things that we'd like to talk about. And we've done two episodes delving into it. So if you do have questions about mental health and mental illness, definitely backtrack and listen to those episodes. I think there's some valuable insights you can take away from that.
2: Yeah, definitely. Great episodes. Um, For those of you listening. So if you follow me on Instagram, then my handle is at Bisma M Bati. So B-I-S-M-A M-B-H-A-T-T-I I I run hashtag mental health Mondays every other Monday so if you wanted to you know delve in a little bit more about that you can join our live you can come in as a guest pop in ask questions as necessary but again the the point of these podcasts and these conversations is really just to open up that dialogue not only between us and our generation but also the generation above and hopefully beyond us Mm -hmm. right so it's you know we may think that you know just a short podcast or you know an Instagram live isn't really doing much but you would be surprised at how far these conversations will go.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it allows people to be brave to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. For somebody that's never even approached these conversations, you start listening to it a little more here and there. It starts getting normalized. And then you become brave enough to speak up when somebody's saying something wrong. I mean, even just us talking
1: on that's air. <laughs> like, that's we're both so yeah. scared. <laughs> we're like, you know what? It's Okay.
0: Yeah, it's important. I think it's important to talk about. So, yes, there's a risk associated with it. People will talk smack. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed, I'm going to have to listen to some of that. But that's okay because it's these are conversations it. worth having. Yeah, it's worth it. 10%. Well, Perfect. thank you so much for having me on today. Thank you, thank you so you for
2: much for coming us. in this month. Of course. Anytime. <laughs> All the way to little old Guelph. Which <laughs> is amazing. Oh, this is Horse County. This is my people. Oh, yeah. true. In I, that
0: case, welcome. Thank
2: you. <laughs> I'll just be riding. Thanks for
0: <laughs> tuning in with us today, folks. We'll see you next time.